It's Thursday, June 10th, and welcome to the New York Amsterdam News Podcast. I'm Cyril Josh Barker. My guest for this episode is Pierre Downing, who is the Vice President of Affordable Housing at Banadnock Development. He's going to be speaking with me about the efforts to create and preserve more affordable housing in the city. The need for affordable housing in New York City is more urgent than ever. Pierre Downing has built his career on making sure New Yorkers have an affordable place to live. Pierre currently serves as Vice President of Affordable Housing at Manadnock Development. The company has established thousands of apartment units in the city in affordable housing and mixed-use buildings. The Amnews recently featured Pierre in our Black New Yorker profile where he discussed his background and work in the industry. And right now he's on the phone with me to talk about what he's doing to increase the number of affordable housing units in New York. Welcome to the podcast, Pierre. How are you? Hey, Josh. How you doing? All right. Great. Thank you so much. Well, listen, just full disclosure, you and I have actually known each other for a number of years. Uh, back in the day, you did a, a reality television so- show called uh, Harlem Heights, and that's actually where we met. But you've built such a great name for yourself uh, with your company and, and in building affordable housing. Just kind of give us some background on how you got into this, because this is a field uh, that a lot of people who work in development don't necessarily go into, but you decided to go into affordable housing. How did you get into this? Oh, man. Well, you know, just full kind of disclosure, right? When I was on Harlem Heights, I was doing, you know, working through kind of as a consultant for the local initiative support corporation. Um, Shout out the LISC, uh, you know, where I was just focusing on, you know, working with nonprofit and for-profit developers to kind of work through, you know, the preservation of their existing uh, affordable housing portfolios. So that was happening on the show. And that show was, you know, it was a good time. Um, but in terms of like how I got into the industry as a whole, man, it really happened, you know, it was all by happenstance because I was kind of ignorant and had no idea that there was a complete industry, you know, um, you know, centered around, you know, the production and creation of affordable housing, um, you know, taking a step back, you know, growing up in Trent, New Jersey, you know, I was a beneficiary of, you know, my family living in subsidized housing. You know, my mother getting rental assistance ultimately and us being able to move um, later in life to, you know, a little better school district. And my mother pushed education, impressed education. And I had a pretty decent jump shot. Um, so ultimately, I was able to go to college, get a degree, you know, as a first in my family in doing so. And then when I came out, you know, kind of was like a big smack in the face, like, uh-oh, you know, like a lot of the benefits that you have as an athlete or a student athlete, you know, you don't really have post-college. And, you know, I was in with the harsh reality of finding a job and I didn't have a network, um, you know, of, of, of people um, that I could reach out to um, for either an internship or kind of a new gig. And my mother, right, because the perception is you go to college, you come out, you know, you get a job or people are biting at the bit, you know, to hire or to employ you. Uh, so my mom, you know, that, that was her impression for sure. And she was, you know, at the time working for the Department of Motor Vehicles down in Trenton uh, as a state job, you know, in their call center. And she was complaining, you know, about me to her uh, good friend, uh, Janelle Davis. And and Janelle, you know, just one night, I guess, uh, when she went home, she was talking, you know, about the conversation she had with my mom to her father, uh, Dana, who was the... Um, kind of the head of business development for, you know, this state agency in New Jersey called the New Jersey Housing Mortgage and Finance Agency. 
uh, and NJHMFA is the acronym. Uh, they are kind of the lead agency for New Jersey that is responsible for the production and creation of affordable housing, you know. And when Dana, you know, had heard that, you know, this kid graduated college, good kid, you know, was looking for a gig, um, you know, he ended up reaching out to me. We had a quick conversation, kind of gave him the backstory, and he introduced me to another brother, uh, Mike Staten from HMFA, who ultimately interviewed me and gave me a job. So that was kind of my introduction to, you know, the world of affordable housing, you know, and it's, it's, it was my first job, and I've only worked in this industry since then. Um, but that's how I went in. And then, you know, from there, you know, I got to see a lot of the developers, you know, and, you know, both nonprofit and for-profit um, that was coming through the agency, working through complex, you know, real estate transactions to produce, you know, new affordable housing in areas of New Jersey and, and or preserve existing affordable housing in New Jersey. And it was then I realized that, wow, you know, this is a, this is a major industry and there's not a lot of representation you know, are people that look like, you know, us yeah. um, that are doing the work or look like the, the, the kind of residents, you know, that they serve on a daily basis. So what does that lead to? Like, oh, it's never really attainable in, 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 in a kid or, or our father or mother's mind because they don't see people like them doing it. And that just sparked something in me. And so after, um, you know, a few years at the agency, I moved on. I got my job at LISC, you know, had a a uh, brief stint in reality television that was a great experience in and of itself mm-hmm. uh, but i never lost sight you know of what i believe you know my purpose has been has been to kind of create a, a career uh, where I was, i'm serving the people um that re- that that mirror you know my mother and my father and my grandmother and you know my aunts and my uncles right because we grew up um you know and 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 you know uh and and if in, in public housing and you know, moved on to some, you know, in section project based section eight housing. So, mm-hmm. you know, that spark it stuck with me and I've been doing it ever since. Okay. Amazing work that you're doing. Um, you know, obviously here in New York City, affordable housing is a huge issue. Um, we're in the middle of a, a very contentious <laughs> mural and city election that's going on right now. And of course, housing is a, is, yeah. is, is a number one topic. Um, what I think is interesting about you is that you, you just said that you grew up in public housing in Trenton and now you're the one in the mm-hmm. position who's creating, uh, the affordable housing. Uh, tell us about your experience, you know, living in public housing. And ki- I guess obviously that kind of drove you and inspired you, uh, to, to go ahead and enter this field. But tell us what that was like growing up in public housing in, in Trenton. Well, you're talking about the 80s and the 90s, um, okay. you know, and it was a different time, you know, from, you know, the guys hustling in the building to, you know, the the emergence of, you know, gangs, um, gang activity uh, and seeing that, you know, so that on the outside, you know, it was really rough um, on the inside of the home, right, because you had, you know, missing uh missing authority figures, I should say, whether it be a mother or a father, you know, and, you know, in my life, you know, there was my mom, you know, and my father, you know, had his bouts and he's in my life now and he's a great grandfather. Um, but there are certain things that kind of influence kind of the, the way I grew up personally, the way I believe, you know, a lot of people have grown up that, that come out of, you know, as we say, you know, um, you know, public housing. Um, it was tough. Right, but there was love there in my family. But a lot of the services and the, and the conditions that 
you know, families need, right? Because you're talking about my mother was, you know, she's a teenager when she had me. Um, mm-hmm. And a single mom at that, right? So she too was faced with trying to provide and raise, raise a child and ultimately another child, um, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a nominal income. And, you know, that's, that's something that a lot of people struggle with, you know, in the housing that <clears throat> I have been lucky enough or had the opportunity to, you know, preserve and or create. Uh, but the experience is, you know, it's, it's, it's systemic, man. It's, it's, some, it's something that we've been dealing with for, for years, right, um, from the construct of, of public housing and, right, right. and the, the development of affordable housing in these communities that are lacking services that don't have, you know, adequate, um, you know, kind of uh, <clears throat> outlets for healthy food, um, adequate outlets for open public space for people to enjoy safely, you know, because of the lack of investment. So it ultimately does lead to an experience where you're, you know, you're constantly, you know, on edge in some cases, worried about safety. You are, you know, kind of battling the stress of trying to make ends meet to cover your share of the rent and raise kids. You know, you're battling with the stress that, right, with the food that you're putting into your body isn't necessarily, you know, kind of the same food that others outside of our community might be have the luxury to put in their body, which Mm -hmm. leads to, you know, certain issues like diabetes, hypertension heart disease, cloudy mind, you know, you're not making, like if you don't have a full stomach, you know, and a, in a safe place to live, you know, um, you know, it influences, it, it, it causes a ripple effect. Um, you know, that all said, you know, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncle, you know, they, it, it, so it, was a, it was a support system, you know, and within the housing, there's always a support system in a community that does exist of elders that were, you know, extremely beneficial, you know, to, to my development. And, Kind of when I'm working through deals or meeting with residents, I always keep that in my mind. <clears throat> but and what we're doing today, right? Um, and, and the work, you know, again that I've been blessed to do is is thinking about what those issues are or what they were for me, you know, and, and trying to solve for them through collaborations with nonprofits, you know, or service providers, and and in efforts to provide linkages, uh, you know, for families and individuals to deal, you know, with a lot of the issues that develop you know, over time from living, you know, in, 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 a, in a kind of, in, 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 a, in a development or a community where you just, where it's really institutionalized, right? So that is something that, that's key and has been an integral part to the work that, you know, I've been able to do on the nonprofit and for-profit private side. And I, thank you so much for explaining all this because I think it's important for people to know that there are people in this city who are, creating and developing affordable housing who, who, who've lived an experience like yours. So you really know the need and what it means to, to have or obtain a, a good place to live. That's also affordable. Um, during our interview a couple weeks ago, you told me that during your first job at the New Jersey housing uh, mortgage and finance agency, you came to the realization, and I didn't realize this either, and I don't, I don't think people know this, that affordable housing is actually, as you said, a full-blown industry. And, you know, yes. if, and, you know when I think of affordable housing opportunities, um, I, you know, we see the lotteries, we see, we see the buildings going up, but I don't think people really know what it means to be able to, to, to create affordable housing here in the city. Take, take us through that process again, because you, you develop affordable housing. But what, what, is that, what does that entail exactly to create affordable housing here in New York? <clears throat> oh, man. Uh, so for one, you know, it is a, a multi-billion dollar industry throughout the country. 
you know, just from a, you know, kind of from a, a thousand foot view, you know, every state um, has an obligation for, you know, to, to provide, you know, affordable housing and there's funding, you know, that's set aside, you know, at the federal level that flows down through, you know, state agencies like HMFA and, and here in the city, you have the New York City Housing Development Corporation and uh, the New York City Housing Preservation, um, Department of Housing Preservation and Development, you know, those agencies are responsible for fostering the development and creation, you know, and preservation of, you know, um, affordable housing or mixed income housing, you know, and uh, uh, supportive housing, um, you know, in terms of the process and what that looks like and how you tap into that, you know, it really is kind of a, a niche, you know, subset of the real estate industry as a whole. Uh, because, right, when <clears throat> evaluating, you know, a, an acquisition, you know, or of, of either land or an existing stabilized building, you have to kind of set rents at a certain level, um, which drives kind of the amount of debt, you know, that you're able to support. And, you know, where the city, you know, and state comes in, right, because you're depressing rents, you know, um, at a level, Right, it, it essentially kind of creates a gap, a need for gap financing, you know, so they're able to cover the acquisition and the construction, you know, of a project, and that's where the city steps in and they provide that subsidy, you know, and that subsidy, um, in exchange for receiving that subsidy, uh, you agree um, to provide, you know, housing um, to persons of low and moderate income. You know, low income housing, like there's a metric um, you know, that, that is called the area median income, um, for, to be deemed affordable housing, you have six low income and 60% of AMI typically. And, you know, when you're like, say a family of four, um, and I'm just throwing that, that 60% of AMI, I'm not sure there's roughly, I think it's around like 80 grand or so, right. Which isn't much, but only 30% of household income can go to pay rent. And then there's an entire application process behind that for a family to, like apply for that housing, but you have to fit within a certain box. Okay, um, and I know also you're part of the a part of NYCHA's permanent affordable housing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, NYCHA's permanent affordability uh, commitment together Renaissance Collaborative, which is Pact Renaissance Collaborative. Um, tell us a little bit about that program. I know it's it's something that's quite important here in the city, uh, and, and is actually helping out a lot of families. Tell us about that. Uh, so, yeah, PAC Renaissance Collaborative, our PIC, PRC, you know, is a consortium, our collaborative of developers, uh, my company, Kellogg Holdings. Uh, you have Monadnock Development. You have Lemoore uh, Development Group, um, which is also a minority-led business enterprise. You also have, you know, our nonprofit uh, partner, Community League of the Heights and Cloth, um, along with the Community Preservation Corporation and the and uh, the Community Development Trust as equity partners in the project. We all form uh, PAC Renaissance Collaborative, uh, and we set, you know, PRC up. Uh, PAC Renaissance Collaborative, also known as PRC, um, you know, was established, uh, you know, back when NYCHA, so NYCHA, I guess to take a further step back, NYCHA set up, um, you know, NYCHA over the course of the past few years, they launched, you know, this program called PACT, our Preserving Affordable, Preserving Affordable Commitment Together, um, which is their acronym for this, or, or their kind of term used for this program, this federal program called the Rental Assistance Administration Program, whereby, you know, public housing agencies 
are able to convert <clears throat> their kind of operating, you know, subsidy that's utilized to fund buildings um, into, right, you go through a RAC conversion and you're able to convert that into project-based Section 8 subsidy. And then, you know, they enter into a partnership, um, you know, with a for-profit or non-profit developer and group um, to usher kind of their, the old, the former public housing through a modernization program. Um, whereby all of the buildings are being, uh, all of the buildings and units receive, um, you know, renovations to address a lot of the disrepair and distress, you know, that uh, these buildings have lived through over time. So NYCHA established this uh, program called PACT, and under PACT, they issue RFPs. Developers respond to those RFPs. PRC was the development group that we put together, again, of the entities that I just referenced. We applied uh, for this uh, Manhattan bundle, which is one of two mega bundles issued by uh, NYCHA. And uh, the Manhattan bundle is roughly 40 buildings, totaling 1,700 units scattered across, you know, Central Harlem, Washington Heights, Kipps Bay, Upper West Side, and East Harlem. Uh, we were blessed, you know, um, and lucky enough to win, you know, the RFP, you know, which was very, very competitive. We were competing against, you know, some of the larger developers here in New York City. Um, we were selected. Uh, and, and worked with NYCHA over the course of, you know, 2019 and 2020 um, to execute the closing and convert, you know, the assistance to project-based Section 8, which we were able to leverage and get the debt and raise equity um, to invest into the buildings. Now we're currently working through the improvements, you know, uh, of the buildings, and we're currently working in, I think it was, it's about three or four developments right now. Um, so we're actively watching, you know, the units, you know, turn around and, you know, we're, we're, we're begin, we've begun work um, and we've been installing the new kitchens, new bathrooms, new flooring, painting units. Uh, we've begun work on the building exteriors and the roofs uh, and, the, and also the heating, uh, the heating plants um, and, and residents, you know, are, are seeing the change, one, and really excited about kind of their, their kitchens, baths, you know, flooring and painting but also excited the fact that we're picking up the phone and we're responding, you know, to, to, the, to their needs, to their maintenance requests, you know, and to their issues. Um, but it's, it's been a blessing and, it's, and also a challenge. Uh, and we will be working through the renovations over the course of the next two and a half, three years. And that's really good to know because I know for me, I get so many phone calls or emails about issues happening in NYCHA and the, the great need for repairs in many of our NYCHA apartments. So it's great to know that, that, that you are doing that. Um, have to ask you because again, I just mentioned we're in a very, very tight, close mayoral race right now, uh, close city council races. And I have to ask you, what do you think that the next mayoral administration needs to do uh, to make sure that housing, that affordable housing is not only expanded, but also preserved. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think the next leaders of this city should be concerned about when it comes to affordable housing? It's such a hot topic. I know whenever there's a debate or a virtual Zoom debate or candidates forum, this topic of affordable housing seems to always come up. But what should the next leaders of this city uh, be doing to make sure that there's enough affordable housing uh, here? Well, I think under every administration, you know, since I've been a New York City resident, um, you know, they always come, you know, with an aggressive affordable housing production plan. You know, I think when I first moved to the city back in 2008 and then went to the Bloomberg administration, there was like a 50,000 unit or 100,000 unit commitment. Then de Blasio came in, it was a 200,000 unit commitment. So I think whomever 
you know, um, the next administration is that comes in, you know, they definitely have to expand. You know, the expectation is that they expand, you know, and have an even greater commitment um, to the, the production and preservation and development of affordable housing for the next, you know, eight, 10 years. Um, so, but in terms of what that looks like and where the need is, Obviously, there is a huge, huge, you know, need, you know, with with respect to NYCHA, which I think the Blasey administration, you know, has been working through aggressively with, you know, the powers that be. And I think there still needs to be continued focus um, here uh, with respect to NYCHA's housing stock, <clears throat> you know, under the next administration. So that's one. Um, two, in terms of, you know, a lot of the, you know, rent-stabilized housing stock and even, you know, rent stabilized housing stock in with rent reform, you know, you had a lot of like private, you know, investment that went into those buildings, right? Because, you know, developers were looking at, you know, rent stabilized housing as an opportunity, you know, to deregulate and increase rents. Now with rent reform, obviously that's no longer really possible. So what we're finding, you know, and it's evident, especially in light of the pandemic, you know, you have landlords that have been have been have started to neglect those buildings because their upside has been taken away so i think the next administration to really really focus in you know on creative alternatives or ways for us to come in you know to to inject new capital in you know to in, into those units um so that you know th those families and individuals um can have the quality of life that they that, that they deserve so i see that as a huge huge need i know hvd you know, um, you know, has been thinking about that, but, you know, it does have to come from the top down. Um, I also think that, you know, the definition, you know, of what a family might have to look like in terms of income. Yeah. Um, like those numbers should be expanded, um, Absolutely. you know, to, to fall into the definition of low-income housing because you have a whole subset, you know, say teachers and service employees and, and essential workers, mm -hmm. right? Let's give essential workers, right? Um, that kind of make, a, make, you know, a couple bucks more than what they're allowed to make in order to qualify, you know, um, uh, for an affordable housing project. So I think retooling that is another, um, you know, kind of idea, you know, that the administration should take a look at. Okay. And that's a, a, another issue I hear often about is that oftentimes affordable housing isn't always quote unquote affordable because of the income brackets that are sometimes uh, not necessarily fair. Last thing I got to ask you about, mm -hmm. I know that you're the co-owner of a bar and I want you to talk about that on top of doing oh. your wonderful work in affordable housing. You are also a, a co-owner of a bar and I always love people who own businesses or co-own businesses or whatever to be able, especially our black folks who are co-owning businesses to talk about yeah. it. Tell us about your bar. T tell us all about it. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, I'm on the, I'm on, I'm not one of the operating partners and one of the, you know, kind of investor, you know, members, or as we say, homies, um, you know, it's called, the bar is called last lap. I would say it's like a lounge, you know, it, it's a safe space uh, for, 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 for people to go. It's a, and it's a really, really diverse crowd. Um, and, you know, it was really the idea you know, of uh, my buddy Scotty, Bryce, uh, and Vince, and then and John, you know, um, to create a space or a place where, I would just say it, man, where, where we could go as young, you know, black professionals and not feel unwelcome, I should say, right? Um, and it started out as an idea, 
then there was kind of a, a quick deck that was developed and then it kind of snowballed and became this thing. So it's like, yo, there's no real place for us to go hang out as a collective with a bunch of creative individuals or, or those from like the real estate world, creative world, you know, um, uh, entertainment, you know, and just, and just be. And there was a space down the Lower East Side, you know, that was coming up off the lease. You know, the guys did the legwork, you know, all the legwork, and then Last Lap, you know, was born. Um, Last Lap because of uh, uh, really is, it ties back to Cornival in Trinidad, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, where it's like kind of the last lap around Cornival. So that's how that birth the name, and, and the food is is Caribbean inspired. You know, and the drinks are Caribbean inspired as well, with as well with the main spirit being rum. Uh, but it's been a, it's been a great experience, man. A really, really great experience. And you know, I guess one of the most rewarding <clears throat> things uh, for me, you know, has been at times hearing you know somebody, you know, who might be a little bit younger than me from out of town saying, "Oh man, you know, it's so cool to come into a place where I don't have to worry about getting kicked out because I might have a fitted hat on." or a hoodie, yeah. you know, or an oversized T-shirt, you know? Mm-hmm. When you read between the lines, you know what that means. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a haven. It's a safe space for us to be and for us to network and to build relationships and, and, all, and, and like, create innovative business partnerships, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, with everything opening back up right now, people are definitely definitely looking for places to hang out. And um, Last Lap def- definitely sounds like a place that I know I will be hanging out <laughs> uh, as COVID, right, right. as the COVID restrictions uh, get lifted and, and things are opening back up and people yeah. are going out more. Well, listen, Pierre, thank you so much. I've known you for years. You've been a great friend to me, and, and I think you're doing some great work uh, in the community when it comes to affordable housing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Josh that concludes this week's podcast you can pick up the latest edition of the new york amsterdam news on newsstands and get updates online at amsterdamnews.com you can also keep up with us on facebook at ny amsterdam news and follow us on twitter at ny am news i'm cyril josh barker thanks for listening